4: So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com. That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law.
6: See terms and conditions 18 Without all the caffeine, stimulants, or hormones, over 1 million people around the world have experienced results from this amazing product. We are giving away free samples of this amazing coenzyme in your area. To receive your free sample in person, you can attend our informational seminar on Tuesday, April 2nd, at 7 p.m. at the Ayers Hotel in Redlands, California. You won't want to miss this. Or you can call and get a sample sent to you today by calling 801-895-4449. And again, that number is 801-895-4449. Or visit our website at coe1.com.
5: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Ten 1050 AM. The station that leaves no listener behind. It's possible. Shocks, with your host, Barry Lynn.
7: All uh, right, and welcome to today's edition of Culture Shocks. This is Barry Lynn. Okay, a show about the Constitution. It's not the only show we've done about the Constitution, as long-time listeners know. But this is a particularly engaging book. It's called Constitutional Myths. It's written by our friend Ray Raphael, who is, among other things, senior research fellow out at the Humboldt State University in Northern California. And uh, the book is brand new, What We Get Wrong and How to Get It Right, because everybody thinks they understand what the Constitution is, how it was written, but it turns out a lot of people are wrong. Ray, thanks for being with us
8: a oh, pleasure to talk with you again, Barry.
7: Listen, the Constitution resulted in a sense from an effort, you know, back in 1787, the, the Articles of Confederation that had been governing this uh, burgeoning empire of ours. It was not supposed to displace the Articles of Confederation. When people got together, though, they created a whole new structure, and predictably there was a fight about that structure. Uh, how would you characterize the nature of that fight? At the very beginnings of the Constitution?
8: Well, the, the fight um, at the very beginning, when they decided to dump the Articles of Confederation in terms of and actually start fresh with a new national government, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of resistance to that. Uh, a handful of people didn't like it, but most of the convention delegates who were there at the time, not everybody had even arrived at right. the beginning, uh, but they said, yeah, you know, when you come to think of it, how in the world are we going to amend these articles? They're so weak. We need we, we need unanimous approval for mm. anything that any change we want to make. How in the world are we going to get that? And what's more is they are only confederation. We need to go all the way and have a, a national government, a supreme national government. So on the very first uh, day of debates, Governor Morris and 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 uh, uh, Edmund Randolph suggest this and. Uh, and it gets approved they say yeah we're, we're going to have a supreme hmm. national government and we're going to start from scratch
7: and w- were there any dissenters Though i mean people who said wait wait a second everybody's not even here and this sounds like an enormously complicated undertaking i mean were there any uh, naysayers
8: well there would be uh at the convention mm-hmm. uh, most of the people were what was called nationalists at the time they right. really want they said we need we need much more than a confederation. We need a national government which can actually uh, pass taxes, its own taxes, and work directly and pass laws, working directly on the people. Because the Articles confederation, the Congress could pass no laws and it could levy no taxes. We need this, and and uh, we're going to have to make that supreme over the states. And but there were a handful of people, a couple from Maryland and a couple from New York. Uh, who resisted them mm-hmm. and they wound up they they kind of uh, put up a little bit of a fight towards the beginning and then uh and and basically midway they just gave up and
7: You know, a couple of weeks ago uh, on the show, we had a constitutional law professor at Georgetown University who has a new book in which he very provocatively argues that both the left and the right are too obsessed and unnecessarily obsessed with the Constitution. I mean, he points to the fact that Great Britain, New Zealand, for example, have no Constitution. They still manage to make legal systems work and work pretty well. Now, he doesn't expect that uh, his constitutional orthodoxy to claim... Let's go back to the Constitution and find what it what it means is going to end any time soon. And uh, as I said to him, we we nevertheless have a constitution. We better at, the, at a minimum know something about its genesis because the historical record, even to him, does matter. I mean, basic principles would need to be established whether they're writ. Large or nearly invisibly in the text as originally created. And that's what I like about your book. I mean, it it does not say history doesn't matter. It just says we better get the history right from the start.
8: Yeah, exactly. That's my point. I'm not saying we have to learn the history and then imitate the founders and everything. That's that's kind of a false premise of, of extreme originalism. Yes, it says cruel and unusual punishment, and uh, they meant uh, no hanging, so there's no death penalty, Mm -hmm. and they meant um, uh, 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 that we also, uh, I mean, they meant we could hang, you know, we, we, we can have capital punishment. And it also meant that uh, today, if you are, are busted for shoplifting, your local sheriff can whip you and lash you and brand your hands. <laughs> yeah, right. Why not? That's not exactly. and un- unusual unusual because it was totally usual at the time. Of course. So we, we, can't, we, don't, we can't go back in time to that. But what we can do is instead of what we do do is we, we figure, well, we have this Constitution, so anybody who's related to the Constitution must, at that time must have known what it was, and so we go through these vast volumes of uh, of, 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 uh, of uh, sources, and we can look through the 216 published volumes of uh, of the first four presidents and, and Hamilton mm-hmm. and Franklin, and get pretty much anything we want. And and then there's more sources, so we can mine all that evidence, and then claim the Constitution says that, and therefore claim whatever we said, we feel is right. And that's what we've been doing. My approach. Sure. Is is I say we need to relearn our history, and the way we relearn our history is to forget what we want from the Constitution now, and go back to that time and try to understand historically what the people were after, what was their main thrust, and then and then we can look at, 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 at we can we can say very forthrightly. That was then, and this is now. Exactly. And and but unless we understand this, that that huge distinction, we're not going to get it. Well, and let's. Then, uh, and then, well, then, then we can say. It. Then we have. We do have an anchor, but it's not an anchor that's fixed. It's an anchor that, yeah, as the, the push of now, uh, comes. We, we we also have a tradition of of obeying the Constitution. I mean, we are a constitutional. Sure. Right? When people say, oh, we should abandon it, You can't abandon over 200 years of having this. Constitution. So, what you can do is you can say this was then, this is now, and here's how things are changing, and we can drag that anchor. We're still anchored in the Constitution, but drag it slowly along the ocean floor. Exactly. So that it can adjust
7: to yeah, I, I like that uh, image very much. And in fact, uh, let's take it into two areas, ideological flashpoints of the incipient and some would say already declining groups like the Tea Party. Uh, those two things asked about the Constitution and, and also uh, sometimes about sex, size, and money. Uh, is the Constitution a document of limited central government? Absolutely. That's what the Tea Partiers say.
8: Yeah, and that's really ironic because... If you were to say, let's go back in time, and and you're going to go uh, to 1787, and you're going to ask the framers right now, why did you come to Philadelphia? Why are you even here? It's hot, it's stuffy, you have to stay inside all summer and argue with a bunch of people. What's your motive force? What's your thing? And they're going to say, oh, I want limited and small government? Now, wait a second. I want a government small enough to drown in the in the bathtub. Right. You know, wait a second. That's exactly what they had. They had a government that that was so small it couldn't. When when Massachusetts asked it to uh, to help suppress an uh, uh, an insurrection, uh, it, uh, it it had no nothing. It had nothing. They looked in their coffers and they realized they had only collected six hundred and sixty three dollars from the states Jeez. in the previous six months. <laughs> Now you tried running a a, a, a nation from the Mississippi <laughs> to, yep. the, uh, to the Atlantic with on a six hundred. Oh, I guess you could double that for a yearly thing, and then maybe oh, yeah. for inflation, and maybe it's five thousand today or something. But you know, they said this ain't working. This is. I came here to Philadelphia. I came here because I think we need a real government, an effective government, and the favorite words, or two favorite words, were vigor and energy. Now, I don't hear – that's the historical record. I don't hear the Tea Party saying that the framers wanted a government with with, with vigor and energy. But that's what they were after.
7: Yeah, no, that's not exactly what they say. And by the way, the amount of taxes that you just mentioned, uh, I suspect – I don't know this. I'm not sure I've ever been to Grover Norquist's house, although I might have been there once. But I'm sure that his bathroom fixtures cost a lot more, uh, even by – you know, extension and inflation uh, than the entire government was supposed to run on at least for six months. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. It's about constitutional myths, including this idea that oh, uh, well, the government is very, very limited. We'll get to that. We'll figure out why this phrase keeps popping up in, in debates called "supreme government." Supreme government? Why well, that would you'd seem to think that that would mean the federal government uh, itself? a burdened phrase, uh, should triumph over some interests of the states. We'll figure out if that's what everybody thought back at the founding when we come back with Ray Raphael, author of Constitutional Myths. We'll be back.
5: Now back to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network.
9: Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious messages? about intelligent design. Should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Blume novels off the shelves? These are the issues explored every month in Church and State Magazine. To learn more, go to www.au.org. Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church-state separation. For more information, please call us at 1-800-875-3707.
10: Imagine waking one morning only to find your family shivering in the dark because you couldn't afford to pay your electric bill. That's closer than you think. You probably haven't heard about this yet because the liberal media has been suppressing what is fast becoming the most shocking news story of 2012. Obama's secret war on coal that could increase your already high power bill as much as 400% in coming months. As shocking as it sounds, it may well be just a matter of time before the lights start going out across America. But here's some good news. There's an underground video at Exposed123.com that thousands of smart patriots have used to end their slavery to the corrupt electricity monopoly. The video at Exposed123.com has already been banned by Google, and the liberal media is doing everything in its power to take it down and keep America in the dark. So watch it now at Exposed123.com before it's too late. Again, that's Exposed123.com.
5: What do you do when your propane runs out and you don't have a large amount of wood for cooking? That's when you need a Grover Rocket Stove from StockStorage.com. The Grover Rocket Stove starts easily with any combustible material like junk mail, small twigs, leaves, weeds, or dry sagebrush. Then just add a small amount of kindling wood and you'll be cooking entire meals in minutes. Grover Rocket Stoves are made right here in the USA and are built to last a lifetime using heavy-duty thick-gauge steel and are painted with high-temp paint to withstand heat. Go to StockStorage.com and see three great Grover rocket stoves. Stainless steel, heavy duty, or our original Grover rocket stove for only $135. And get free shipping to the lower 48. For phone orders, call 801-361-6984. Or go to StockStorage.com. That's 801-361-6984. Or StockStorage.com. The original Grover rocket stove minimal wood-use cooking stoves. Available exclusively from StockStorage.com. Thank you.
7: Back when we're talking about some of the great constitutional myths, you know, it's one thing everybody says. You know, when I used to do radio with Oliver North, he used to carry this tiny little copy of the Constitution, and he would read parts of it back to me as if the language itself uh, proved everything, anything, uh, which uh, it. it, it perhaps did to him but not to the rest of us constitutional myths is the name of the new book we're talking about very uh, powerfully written readable look at constitutional myths what we get wrong and how to get it right by my guest ray Raphael. ray has written a number of other books including a people's history of the american revolution and other things and has joined us on this show on a couple of previous occasions so now ray Let's just talk about this phrase, supreme government. I mean, what what did that mean to the people who used it? And is it possible that it was just, it was kind of like uh, here in Washington that looks like the word processors always add the phrase, God bless America, to every speech on everything, any issue, frozen tilapia regulations, God gives a speech on it, God bless America. People don't even hear it. Maybe they didn't know what they meant when they heard a phrase like that, and therefore maybe they would have been, more limited in their view of government if they had really thought about what they were saying.
8: Uh, the word "supreme" it was used a lot. George Washington was particularly uh, yep. that term, and he, uh, he before the Constitutional Convention, he was in his letters. He says, "You know, we needed government with supreme powers." Now, what that, what that, supreme powers didn't mean like tyrannical powers, and it didn't mean God-given powers. What it meant was. Right now, they have 13 states. Right now, see, I'm already, I'm, I'm speaking like I'm back in the time. Exactly. Whenever That's I, when good. I write these things, I feel like, hey, I'm back in that time. That's alright. You, you gotta enter the time, you gotta look at it from the inside. And so I'm back in that time, and I'm looking at there are 13 states, and Washington is very concerned they, about their their jealousies with each other. They have different interests, and then and, uh, and they, can, they often conflict, and they're having these, these terrible arguments in Congress about uh, about uh, a treaty in, uh, that's basically going to give up uh, rights to the Mississippi in return for which the South and the West doesn't like, in return for trading privileges which the North and East does like. And and he's saying, we're just going to tear each other apart. And what we need to do is we need to create a supreme government kind of over and above these separate interests. In other words, a national government under which there would be these, uh, these other parts. Now, that was the concept, but they also knew, these guys were smart, they mm-hmm. knew that they couldn't just create a government, and even though some of them wanted to obliterate the state, uh, uh Hamilton did right. and even Madison at the convention says that the states would he, he reluctantly said that he, he would he would bow to keeping them in as subordinate sub, as subordinate <laughs> parts uh but but they knew they couldn't get away with too much because whatever they did in that fall uh would have to be ratified by the people out in the states what they say the people out of doors that's the term that they use <laughs> and so they said okay, we need these central sure. powers And yet, we also can't scare the states away that much. And they have to, some things are going to have to, you know, they're going to, we're going to to leave certain powers in the states. So they stipulate what these are. And they take the really crucial powers that they think, you know, like who's going to have an army, a navy, federal government, who's going to be able to levy taxes, federal government, states can too, but the federal government does. Who's going to be able to regulate commerce, the federal government? Right. The states can't tax each other. Who's going to coin money? And, uh, and, and yes, and do they – so these are the things that the federal government does. And then when – if the federal government comes in conflict with the state, it, uh, it's clear which one has to – the federal will be mm-hmm. the law of the land. Now, James Madison, who is used now as kind of the, the poster boy for, for state sovereignty, Right right, because 11 years later, in 1798, he says the, the states can interpose between the federal government and the people if the federal government passes a bad law. But uh, but that was 11 years later, and a lot had changed. He had fallen out with Hamilton over the bank, and there's a whole bunch of sure. politics going on. And, but at the convention, he was second only to Hamilton in, in, in the severity of his nationalism. He wanted to, he insisted, on having uh, the the federal government would have what they call a negative what we call a veto over all state legislation he used the word in all cases whatsoever so any state law any state law having to do with uh, traffic uh, traffic of of, of regulating traffic of buggies (laughs) or or marriage to use something that we do today uh, could be negative by the federal government and it didn't have to be unconstitutional or anything that's what he wanted
7: well you know Speaking of that, let's go on to something else Uh, outside of the power issue, the money issue. Section 8, Article 1, so-called original Constitution, the Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. Uh, That's not something the Tea Partiers like to say because then they also point out, but wait a minute, in the very next uh, section, Section 9, uh, it says no capitation or other directives. Direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken, which, of course, uh, they can't actually say that because it's very hard to memorize that sentence. But they say, look, yeah, there's generally taxation. There's no income tax. If they had wanted to raise a lot of money, they'd have had an income tax from the beginning. Therefore, low taxes down to no taxes, that should be our goal today. You say bunk
8: yeah. yeah. Hey, you said that pretty good. You ought to run for uh, Congress.
7: Yeah, I was thinking line. about that. Uh, but there's only one yeah. block that I can think of uh, in the whole United States uh, that uh, I might be able to win. Yeah. yeah.
8: Well, listen, um, uh, it's a kind of complicated sentence, but I'm going to start with you. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, maybe I'll only get to one right. before we do the commercials. But uh, first of all, the idea that they, they would have done income taxes if, uh, if they wanted them. How exactly in 1787 are you going to have an income tax? Yeah. What is that going to mean? Ninety-five percent of the population are farmers. They're living yep. an agrarian life. Yep. producing many, if not most, of their of their produce and and make, even making some of their cloth and so on. Sure. They're going to the blacksmith to get their tools the fashioned from the. You know, and the income is very. You know, the, the, what you'd have is you'd have merchants paying all the in, all the tax because they're the ones dealing with money. Nobody else is getting taxed. And this is it when ninety-five percent of people. They, what they did is they had, you know, income is, some, is a measure of somebody's ability to sure. pay. Their measure was property taxes. So they taxed tax property because that's what every most of the people owned sure. some property back then. You would tax that. And get the, here's the funny part. You know how they valued the property? Sometimes they said, what is this really worth? <laughs> and they valued it by saying it's worth the rent that it could produce if you wanted to rent it. Uh, in other words, they right. actually translated property sure. tax. They determined it by sort of like imagining what the income would be if they could make an income. <laughs> and so people think, oh, they didn't even believe in right. income tax. And these things were basically they, the property the rich people would pay more because they could pay more. So it was very much in keeping. Now, that's the first part of the answer. But the second part of the answer about the two, there's two. remember, there's two different yeah. types of taxes, the ones that you can just pass indirect. Yep. And the ones, the other ones, the direct tax, you have to apportion between the states. And the reason you do that is, what if you tax slaves? Oh yeah. The North would tax slavery, so the South would pay all the taxes. Of course. What if of you course. tax net Yeah. Okay. The North would pay all the taxes. The South would get off scot-free. So they said, if you do a direct tax, yep. each state
7: has to pass. You know, it has to pay its share. Its share. And and that's uh, that's all it says. It doesn't say you can't tax ever. And uh, we'll get back to Ray Raphael, constitutional myths, and talk about a few more myths in a minute right here on Culture Shocks.
5: You're listening to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network.
9: Our nation's founders believed that all Americans have the right to worship according to their own beliefs or not to worship at all. So strong was their commitment to religious freedom that they enshrined it in the first sentence of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We call this constitutional guarantee the first freedom. Religion is deeply personal and Americans must be free to practice without coercion. There must be a separation of church and state. We are on the verge of losing this fundamental freedom. You may wonder, what can I do? The answer is simple. Do what our founders did. Sign your name to a very important document, the First Freedom First petition. Go to www.firstfreedomfirst.org and sign it today. By standing together, we can send a powerful message to our elected officials.
6: gardeners. Here comes another growing season, but don't use last year's soil. Maximize yields in your survival garden with EM1 from Terragonics. EM1 is an organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant that provides a broad spectrum of beneficial microorganisms, enzymes, trace minerals, vitamins, and various organic acids. EM1 helps regulate the soil's pH level and its soil microbes, improving moisture retention and drought tolerance. Remember last year's dry conditions? EM1 from Terragonics is safe, chemical-free, and certified for use on all organic farms. It improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, and gives up to 20% more nutrient value in fruits and vegetables and greatly increases shelf life. And EM1 is so simple to use, just mix with water and apply. This year, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. TerraGanics, life's getting better.
11: Your freedoms are on the line. The Second Amendment is in danger. How soon before your freedoms are taken away? What can you not live without? What is your greatest dependency? Is it your guns? Is it your home? No, it's food. It all boils down to the food supply. Tyrannical governments control people by controlling their food supply. Don't be dependent. Be self-sufficient. Don't wait for the government to feed you. Feed yourself. I can warn you, but I can't feed you. Do like Alex has done and get a supply of food from Direct. It's the best long-term Storable food on the planet. Get the popular Mega Patriot Pack free. A 24-day supply of food plus stove, cook pot, and fuel. Call 800-250-1857 or go to eFoodsDirect.com Alex and get up to 20 Mega Patriot Packs free with purchase. Build your food supply, be in control, be self-sufficient, and be a patriot. Call 800-250-1857 or eFoodsDirect.com Alex and get your free Patriot Pack today.
7: right, we are back. We're talking about the Constitution with Ray Raphael, author of the fine new book, Constitutional Myths, What We Get Wrong and How to Get It Right. One of the great things about this book is every time there's a myth that is asserted, for example, the framers of the Constitution opposed a strong federal government, which is the way we started this conversation, he will have the kernel of truth, that is how people come to this conclusion, and then but few reservations and then the full story or i guess as paul harvey might have said when he was on radio the rest of the story that explains why the myth is it largely incorrect, and we've been talking about the size of government, we've been talking about taxes. At least some people would say, Ray Raphael, on the other hand, the framers of the Constitution, they were the geniuses of the age. They were statesmen. That whole women thing hadn't happened yet. They were statesmen. They were attentive to principles, not to lobbyists. Uh, You tend to debunk that and say they all have a kind of political agenda of their own, an ideological agenda of their own, Uh, but you would concede that on average they were probably smarter than a combination of both Rick Santorum and Michelle Bachman, wouldn't you?
8: Yes, and I would okay. also I concede more than that. I would concede that, okay. that ultimately they all did have the good of the nation at heart, yep. and that's why they had come. And they had differing views of what the, that good of the nation would be, and herein, therein lies the rub. A lot of those, quote, views of, where, of, of how they differed, were determined by where they came from and what their constituents wanted. These people were sent there by states to represent their states. Now, okay, Barry, let's say you're a representative from Delaware, right? And you arrive at the convention, and the first thing you hear out of the mouths of the Virginians is we're going to abolish the idea that each state has an equal say in Congress, and Hmm. Congress will be determined (laughs) according to, well, we'll two houses of Congress, and they'll both be determined by population and it just so happens that Virginia has 9 times as many people as Delaware. Okay, Barry, so what yeah. do you take it? Uh, you, you like that idea?
7: Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to oppose that idea because we are a small but brilliant state. We have some of the smartest people, the best farmland, but we don't have as many people as you do.
8: Yeah, yeah okay. Have to and then now okay, now let's say uh let's say you're from the north yeah. and you're and you're trying to determine the representation of uh slavery, right? And so you say, "Okay, um uh, I think uh, only free people count for slavery, yeah. and uh, and then uh, and then. But I'm from the South, and I say, wait a second, the slaves are producing all this this uh, this stuff, and you know, and it, and they're very important to our economy, so we have got to count them. So of course they settle on three fifths of a person. Now here is the funny part: mm-hmm. the South wanted to count the slaves. Right. And the of North course. Didn't, Of course. That gives them more representation. Of course. Four years ago, they were back in yeah. 1783. They were trying to find out who should pay, which state should pay how much money.
7: Yeah.
8: Okay? yeah. And then and the South said, well, you can't count our slaves because they're not good for anything. Yeah. And the North said, oh, you got to count the slaves because they can produce as much as a white person. Sure. And in other words, in those four, because they were arguing for for the, the burden of taxation on one hand and the right of representation on the other, each side totally shifted their position. Now, that's what I'm talking about, interest-driven politics. Exactly. And you can't say exactly. these guys are just pure, you know, theoretically creating this well-oiled machine that's worth perfectly and every little part goes with every other part because most, we know that, that great three-fifths compromise, but... Most provisions in the Constitution, most the key and controversial provisions, well, not most, but many, many key provisions, because everybody read on the taxation. Frame, sure. That wasn't uh, an issue. But many of the other provision, uh, provisions, if you ask for the original intent, what the founders of mm-hmm. great wisdom really right. mean by this, well, I'll tell you what the original intent was. It's very clear. The original intent was to garner enough votes to pass, a provision that was the original intent, <laughs> exactly. and so you'd get, you'd, you'd, and then you have bargaining, and say, "Well, I voted for this, even though I don't like it, because I'm going to get this, which I do like."
7: Yeah, and it's uh, and it does work, and it works in these bizarre compromises, and it works in ones. But but your point is that they see at least the good of the nation uh... and it's common some commonality of purpose and that that makes them uh, arguably slightly different you could say i mean i think there are really are members of congress who do not care about the best things in the nation but i suspect there are people uh, more to the right than i am who think that about liberals too uh... let me turn to something else that they did maybe this was or wasn't a compromise um, there are certain enumerated powers of the federal government even uh... You You know, our our friends on the the far right uh, would agree coin money, establish postal roads, a postal service. But now there's enormous disagreement about if a power isn't mentioned, whether the federal government can take on any role in it whether that is food safety or schools for example so where from these enumerated powers do you think we get the capacity uh, to work for the common good and uh, pass all kinds of federal legislation uh, funding things that aren't specifically mentioned and even regulating some of those uh, human activities that aren't mentioned directly in the enumerated powers where does it come from?
8: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, uh, basically, it comes from article, from the first clause and the last clause within that key Article One, Section Eight. The first one does include provide for the common defense and general welfare. It's not general welfare is not simply in the preamble. It's in right. the body of the Constitution. Right. And the last one is the necessary and proper clause, saying anything necessary and proper to achieve these ends, we can do. Now, interestingly enough, James Madison, again the poster boy for uh, for states' rights, is also used as a poster boy for limited, strictly strict interpretation and limited powers. Mm-hmm. And he came to that position a uh, years later when he opposed Hamilton's national bank. But beforehand, he had a hand in both of those. His committee added that general welfare. He, and, when, and the necessary and proper that his, his committee he was on, they adjusted the, the wording of that. And that necessary and proper clause, that was not even debated. Nobody opposed it. No, it Nobody was
7: so, opposed it.
8: No. It was so obvious that if you don't put this some kind of leeway, some kind of elasticity, as we now say, into that, you'd have nothing. And again, on Madison, he, that's the way he he was nearly not so uh, defined powers when he went to Congress the next uh, the, in the first Congress in 89.
1: Mm-hmm.
8: Here's some of the powers what he wanted to do. He wanted to support a scientific expedition expedition to the to the to find out more about the magnetic North Pole. Well, now, can you find that for me, Barry? Yeah, let me see.
7: I was just checking it out. I don't see that okay, here. Okay, well, what about,
8: no. Did you have one about about yeah. supporting disabled semen? Is that in there?
7: Yeah, no, I can't. I'm looking. Okay, now, it's did, not, you, here. Now, not here. Not here. One last thing. Okay.
8: Barry. Look in the census and tell me where it says that you, the, the purpose of the census is to find out the class and occupation of every single individual in the United States. Oh
7: yeah. I think it's not on my. I think I dropped uh, coffee on that part of it. I yeah, yeah. Well, that's what yeah.
8: that's that's what Madison supported all of that. In other all words, of that. Even even he, you know, thought that there, that, 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 that there was some leeway in here if something was really good and it sort of basically promoted the general welfare, and mm. and between those two clauses. But then they got in this big debate over the national bank, and the yep. two parties emerged. One said, yes, we can include these things, and one said we can't. It's a viable debate because, obviously, you can't include everything. And, obviously, if you want to have a lighthouse, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to broaden it sure. a little bit because it's not in there. All these no. million things. You can't, you can't celebrate the Constitution. You can't have a Library of Congress. There's a million things you can't do if you don't give
7: a little bit of a exactly. judge there. And, and they I, did, and they as you point out, and there are many other examples in the book as well, all kinds of things that people assume, the very people who are responsible for this document, and that's more than James Madison and a whole chapter devoted to that in the book, but that they knew that there were things that needed to be accomplished. The federal government was the place to do it, and they saw no conflict. Now, when we come back with Ray Raphael, author of Constitutional Myths, I'm going to have to get through two other questions. Uh, yes, the bank was controversial. Yes, the bank was the subject of a big Supreme Court case. Is there judicial review in this Constitution, or did we just make that up? And then what's this Tenth Amendment mean? People are always talking about it now. Tea partiers love it. It says if there aren't enumerated powers, there aren't some kinds of powers, they're reserved to the states or to the people. Individually, I guess. We'll figure all this out with Ray Raphael, author of Constitutional Myths, in just a minute. When we come back for more of Culture Shocks. I'm your host, Barry Lynn.
9: Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious messages about intelligent design should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Bloom novels off the shelves these are the issues explored every month in Church and State magazine to learn more go to www.au.org Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church state separation for more information please call us at 1-800-875-3707
1: We spent years researching herbs and their beneficial properties. Renovation Teas uses only 100% organic, fair trade herbs. Our teas are blended towards specific ailments and health conditions, such as diabetes, blood pressure, anxiety, libido, detox, and much more. All renovation teas are formulated and hand-filled in Arkansas. Take care of yourself naturally, the way Mother Nature intended. Order renovation teas at RenovationTea.com or call 870-784-3121. That's 870-784-3121. Renovation Teas. Renovate your health one bag at a time.
12: of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order ProEM1 daily probiotic cleanse at Terraganics.com. spelled T E R A G A N I X.com, Terraganics.com, or call toll free 866 369 3678. That's 866 369 3678. ProEM1, the raw probiotic.
7: All right. So if you have uh, Tea Party relatives and or there you happen to have a neighbor who listens to uh, any other right wing talk shows uh, and even Mark Levin, I don't know why you would do that. But maybe somebody listens to Mark Levin. He would tell you the Constitution is one thing. It would be. A Constitution, however, perhaps found in his sock drawer, certainly not the Constitution, envisioned by, including the growth envisioned by, the very framers of the Constitution. The book we're discussing is Constitutional Myths by Ray Raphael, longtime professor and now a senior research fellow at Humboldt State University out in Northern California. So, Ray, we got to talk about these two other things. So, Let's start with the Tenth Amendment. I mean, it, it, as you review this historically, it kind of contains... This This double waffle, you might say. It says that uh, certain powers are, quote, reserved to the states, and then it adds, or to the people, as if the people, perhaps something different than the states, as in your house. Um, Doesn't doesn't this seem to indicate that there are some things outside of the purview of any government control, even state, certainly federal? It's yours alone, you, the human American.
8: Yeah, and, 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 and this is um this struck to the, the heart of the, the philosophy of the time of popular sovereignty, that government and the social contract theory, that government is instituted by and for the people, and the people have the, uh, the ultimate say in it, and, and the people have relinquished some powers that doesn't mean they've relinquished all powers. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is what powers have they relinquished? And, and remember, though, that they don't totally, not everybody has a view here that the That's people in right. the government are different, because now that you have a representative government, those mm-hmm. representatives, the government is you. And if you don't like it, you, you, you take away your representatives. You, you, vote, you vote the other way. Now, there's a very interesting history about the Tenth Amendment, which, which is very little known, right. I think speaks volumes. Okay? When it is first proposed by Madison in the, mm. in the, in the Congress, so we're talking about, uh, you know, because remember, that's not in the body of the nope. Constitution. Nope. The Constitution was, was, was basically loading powers on government. That's right. That they thought they could get away with So the, 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 these amendments afterwards are trying to limit that a little bit. But Madison says, you know, the whole point why we have a Bill of Rights is several of the amendments that people suggested seriously tinkered with the structure of the Constitution. The so Madison and Washington got together, and they said, "Wait, let's just propose rights that that, that we can agree mm-hmm. with. It won't tinker with the power." That's right. And and they did that. So they so they they <laughs> weakened the government they didn't do, and so they put this one in. Okay, and it and when they put it in, the power is not delegated to the United States or reserved that yep. uh, 's to the states of the people. Right. Okay. One of the one of the representatives in Congress immediately argued. That's not clear enough. I vote to put in expressly. Okay? Right. Expressly. Not it's expressly, not expressly delegated. Expressly mm-hmm. delegated. And so they discussed that, and guess what? Yeah. Expressly got expressly rejected <laughs> by the overwhelming majority in Congress. Yep. And the reason this is so interesting is because today, uh, people for limited government read that as if the word expressly was in there that's right and that's that, that is their reading and they're, but they but again these people are not looking at real history no and if you look at the history it was expressly was expressly rejected
7: exactly and, and you purposely can'
8: to keep that wiggle room they didn't want exactly. to they wouldn't didn't want to mess with the wiggle room because otherwise remember the central core to this whole thing to create an effect Effective government. Oh my gosh, what would they think today about people trying to sign me government on Congress?
7: Exactly. And I do point out, and I, I, mean, I would point out that I think that when you see whether it's at the Constitutional Convention, when there were also provisions that failed, and we have a record of those failures, or in the debate over the Bill of Rights, for example, what is rejected does have historical weight because it shows that at least in that first Congress considering the Bill of Rights, that they thought about some of these issues and specifically rejected them. Now, let me turn to this other complexity where you have uh, right-of-center and left-of-center law professors and jurisprudential scholars saying, well, you know, this judicial review thing is is kind of hard to find maybe in the Constitution. We need it now, but it's a little hard to find. What do you say to them?
8: Uh, well, it's hard to find because it's not there. Yeah. And, and this is one of the great ironies of the people who say that the that founders got every, had everything worked out through it. Right. Because if you have everything worked out and you're and you've got this document and you've already and you know that people are going to uh, dicker about it, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean bicker about it. You know, I mean, it's you know, some people who say says this and this. One would think that you would set up some kind of mechanism for dealing with that. Well, mm. guess what? They didn't. No. There are a few stray passages. Some suggest that some judges, some delegates assumed that the courts would. Others to suggest quite the opposite they said because when they said should the courts have a say in vetoing laws mm-hmm. and, 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 and some delegates said no, no they should be the last person to consider uh, to consider uh, uh, you know uh, to consider that yep. um, so so they never they never came to a resolution on it and they just let it be so then afterwards during the 1790s the president thinks that he has a right to uh, determine constitutionality. Congress d- assumes that they do. The people assume that they do. <laughs> uh, and then, and yet, actually, the first case—it's not Marbury versus Madison in in uh, in 1803, but in 1796, this guy uh, uh, Hilton uh, uh, from Virginia—he's got 125 carriages that are going to get taxed, mm-hmm. and he says, and you know, it, and, and it's wind up, it winds up—he's got to pay this uh, outrageous sum for, of taxes, so he opposes it. And what happened, he takes it to the court, and the court upholds it on constitutional grounds, upholds the tax, hmm. so they declared their right to That's right. The constitutionality but meanwhile, <laughs> and then in Marlborough of Madison, they declared it, and they actually overturned the law, but then the, the Jefferson immediately says i don't i don't respect this yeah i, I 'm going to determine it and exactly. then Congress continues, and not another judicial review overturned until dred scott so so what we 're talking about is um, it's not clear. Not only is not who does it, but there's no methodology. Madison says explicitly, if you're trying to determine how to determine what the, what's constitutional, you cannot in any way look to the intent of the founders. That has nothing to do with it. Right. He says, and he says you should look to the ratifiers, uh, the people who voted. Yes. And then Geary responds, Elbridge Geary responds, wait a second. The ratifiers, all what they're arguing in this intensely partisan way for or against the Constitution, you can't say that me, that determines the meaning of the Constitution, because uh, they're all have these vested or partisan. Of interests. course, and so basically the whole thing is just left floundering. And we are left on our own to figure out how to interpret it.
7: We're left on our own, and we're left on our own. Even if you assume that ratification decisions meant a lot, we don't even have full written records of many of those ratification debates, do we? No,
8: no, No. we don't. And we we do have a lot. We have 20, and and, there's some question about how accurate they were reported. Of course. But there are 22 volumes of public writings of the, of the ratification, uh, in the States, because a lot of it was in the press, uh, and then there's eight more on the works. There's an immense volume of literature. But the thing is, how can you determine, um, it's a very any, but you can't determine a line by line what something meant nope. by reading what a person arguing in favor of it means. Says, and one nope. person arguing against it
7: says. No, and you cannot turn to the Federalist Papers like so many of my friends do every month. I do this debate with the Vice President of the uh, National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and he occasionally cites the Federalist Papers, but that ain't the legislative history of the Constitution, is it?
8: No, no. it's a matter of fact, they were a very small part of that debate. It, don- it was just two- three private men. Two of whom happen to have been there. Hamilton, well, one of whom missed half the convention, yep. basically one and a half. Sure. And then, <laughs> and then, and, and, and meanwhile, you have all these public bodies wing You three private men with a vested interest. Hamilton says at the outset in the first one, uh, "I am, I am partisan. Yes. I, I am going to tell you why I favor the Constitution." Exactly. Right. The title page, are written <laughs> in favor of the Constitution. Yep. You know, so we, how in the world is that? And then, and then you look at what they say, and they have they do huge turnarounds. They do they do false statements. Hamilton says that the, the president's elected by the people. That's mm. yeah. simply not, not true. true. He's not. Nope. And and Madison makes uh, declares that the powers are few and defined. And then and then two years later, he, did, he assumes that the power, <laughs> all those things that I said about the magnetic hole exactly. and everything. Of course. And so it's a political document. Yep. Since when was a political document? enshrined as law.
7: Indeed, and uh, this and so many other myths, I mean, we didn't even get to some of them about the significance of the Bill of Rights and the way that developed, and most importantly, originalism. We've talked about that with many scholars in the past. Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas may think you can find original intent and just resolve everything, but that taint necessarily so. In fact, it's one more myth discussed in the book by Ray Raphael that we've been discussing today. Constitutional myths. What we get wrong and how to get it right. Thanks, Professor Raphael. That does it for today's edition of Culture Shocks. I'm Barry Lynn. We'll talk again.
5: This edition of Culture Shocks has been produced by Diane Robinson, engineered by Dwayne Davis, and the Genesis Communication Network Technical Staff. Visit us online at cultureshocks.com.
0: Radio advertising on GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is simple, affordable, and reaches millions. How do we do it? Let's break it down. First, the simple part. You tell us about your business. (laughs) Then our expert radio copywriters write your copy. We hire professional voice talent. Hello there. I'm a professional announcer. And then produce your ad with just the right music and feel. Voila! Simple. How affordable? 60-second ads on GCN are the most affordable national radio advertising rates, period. And that brings us to reach. Millions of people listen to GCN radio programs on over 700 AM and FM and XM stations and streaming audio live. That's it. A one-stop shop. Creative radio ads. Very affordable rates. Millions of potential customers and customer service that can't be beat. See our current list of satisfied advertisers at GCN. Then shoot us an email. Advertise
13: Maybe you think that your real economic worth is being undervalued these days, even disrespected by the powers that be. Well, you're hardly alone. Wait till you hear the tragic story of how Al-Walid Ben Talal has been dissed. He is Prince Al-Walid, a full-fledged member of Saudi Arabia's royal family. The 57-year-old describes himself as the, quote, world's foremost value investor. Indeed, the royal one owns sizable stakes in such premium properties as London's posh Savoy Hotel, Apple Computer, Citigroup, and Rupert Murdoch's News Corp Empire. He's even buying a soccer team. But is he getting the respect he's due? No, at least not from Forbes magazine. In its annual ranking of the world's super-rich, Forbes relegates Ben Talal way down to 26th place, estimating his wealth at a mere $20 billion. An outrageous insult, shrieked the wounded prince, who dwells in a 420-room mansion in Riyadh, is flown around in his own Boeing 747 jumbo jet, has a yacht bigger than most hotels, and possesses 200 cars, including collections of Rolls-Royces, Ferraris, and Lamborghinis. His true wealth, he explains in exasperation, is nearly $30 billion, which would rank him as the world's 10th richest human. Ahead of such run-of-the-mill billionaires as the Waltons of Walmart money, Michael Bloomberg, and Sheldon Adelson, a tacky casino operator, for God's sake. Prince al was so rankled by the misranking that he wrote to Steve Forbes himself, demanding that his name be removed entirely from Forbes' plutocratic listing. Moreover, declared the peaked prince, he will not cooperate in the future with the magazine's wealth valuation inspectors. This is Jim Hightower saying, so, if you're feeling disrespected, put your indignation in perspective by thinking of this poor prince.
2: This is Fred Lundgren, the CEO of this radio station. Some years ago, a book came out called The Rules. Supposedly, these rules allowed women to control the alpha male. Well, with my tongue firmly implanted in my cheek, I thought I'd offer you some rules from the male point of view. So, ladies, here are our rules. And remember, all of our rules are very important, and they should all be listed as number one priorities. First of all, ladies, men are not mind readers. Please, learn to work the toilet seat. You're a big girl now. It's up to you. Put it down. We need it up. You need it down. You don't hear us complaining about you leaving it down. Now, Sundays are for sports, fun, and male caving. It's like a full moon and the tides. Please, just let it be. Shopping, ladies, is not a sport. And no, we're never going to think of it that way, no matter how pleasant you attempt to make it. Ladies, crying is just blackmail. It's not fair. Next time you want something, ask for what you want. Just be clear on it. Subtle hints do not work. Strong hints do not work. Obvious hints don't work either. Just tell us what you want. Yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost any question. And ladies, come to us with a problem only if you want us to solve it. We are problem solvers. That's what we do. That's what we know how to do. Sympathy is what your girlfriends are for you when you're complaining about us. Ladies, anything we said six months ago is inadmissible as an argument if it's brought up today. In fact, any comments we made a week ago are null and void. Ladies, if you think you're fat, (laughs) you probably are, please don't ask us. If something we said can be interpreted in two ways, and one of those two ways makes you sad or makes you angry, please understand we meant it the other way. And ladies, you can either ask us to do something or tell us you want something done. But don't tell us to do something and then tell us how to do it. If you already know how to do it so well, do it yourself. And please When we're watching television together, say whatever you have to say during commercials. And ladies, with regard to travel, Christopher Columbus didn't need directions, and neither do we. With regard to colors, men see in 16 basic colors, like a cheap Windows default setting. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color to a man. Pumpkin is also something that we eat or you have us make into decorations at Halloween. We have no idea what teal is, except it looks sort of like dark green. And ladies, when it itches, we're just gonna scratch it. Please get used to it. And ladies, if we ask what's wrong and you say nothing, we'll act like nothing's wrong. If you get mad, it can't be our fault. If you ask a question and you don't want an answer to the question, don't get angry. If we answer the question, when we have to go somewhere, absolutely anything you wear is okay. Please, don't change dresses three times before you go out. And don't ask us what we're thinking unless you're prepared to discuss topics such as bank overdrafts, car payments, and airing up the tires before you go on your next trip. Also, ladies, you have enough clothes. As a matter of fact, you have too many shoes. And quit telling us to get in shape. Round and large is a shape. And that was the male version of the rules. I'm Fred Lundgren, and I'm CEO of this radio station. And uh, I've gotten used to sleeping on the couch.
5: You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind.
11: There's a battle for the soul of America.
2: We can't let him tear the kingdom down.
11: This is no game. This is war.
2: Flesh and blood.
3: It's between the bad and good. We can't stop until the trumpet's
5: sound. This is war.
3: Not a game we're playing. This is war.
11: The only question is, which side will you be on?
10: It's time now for a call to decision with Pastor Butch Paul.
5: Hello and welcome. This is Pastor Butch Paul, the second day of April 2013. Welcome to the program wherever you are. And I do mean that. We're going to bring up a very special guest in a couple of minutes, Pastor James Manning. Now, if you're a first-time listener hearing Pastor James Manning, you're in for a treat. Uh, this guy is something else. I mean, he's, he's in a in a in a heart of of, of Harlem, New York, and he is a preacher that preaches the truth, and just tells it like it is. And I, I, I don't, I'm not saying this. He